and welcome to The Block, the Building, Learning, and Organizational Culture podcast. I'm your host, Heidi Kirby, and on today's episode, I want to share with you a few L&D horror stories of my own from my experience, because I think it's nice to hear the good, the bad, and the ugly. I really enjoy working in the field, but it is not all (laughs) sunshine and roses, and I think Horror stories do a couple things. They let you know that you're not alone, that we all make silly choices, have things happen to us that are beyond our control. You know, we're all human and we all start somewhere. And I think the other thing that horror stories do is they allow us to to learn things, right? We can learn things from other people's mistakes and we can make a different series of choices when we're encountered with a similar issue or problem. And so the first story that I would like to share is not, it's not a um, horror story for me in particular. You know, nothing particularly bad happened to me. It was just kind of like watching a train wreck. And It's actually, so it's actually going to be kind of two combined stories, but it has to do with how people treat compliance training (laughs) and how people treat compliance training in the workplace. Now, the first story I shared is a bit more recent, and it has to do with a compliance training that I took that I had no control over the implementation, um, the, the training being sent out. It was all done through a third party, and I was not part of that team. But I went through the compliance training, and there was this, like, annoying character who I believe was supposed to represent, like, standard operating procedures or the employee handbook or, like, something like code of conduct. That's what it was. And his name was like, we're just going to call him Chip, because if somebody hears this and they worked with me at this, this job, they'll know what I'm talking about. So he was like this, uh, you know, buffoon character, if we think of like sitcoms and, and movies. He's like the, the Joker, right? Like the person who's there for comedic relief. And he just overacts. I mean, the, we're talking compliance training. You guys have seen the acting that happens in this. These are not Oscars like... They're not, Julia Roberts is not acting in a compliance training. So, like, the acting is already not, like, the best thing you've ever seen. <laughs> but then, it was, It also wasn't the worst. Anyway, I digress. But this guy was overacting everything. And just completely, you know, being over the top. And it was so annoying to watch. And I, being the bad student that I am, did not retain anything. Um, and then there were some, like, jokes that were happening in different intranet spaces um, and organizational cross-functional meetings where people were, like, making fun of the guy. And so what makes that a horror story is that the point of the course was completely missed, right? Like, it was about ethics and and about behavior in the workplace. And all anyone could remember was this ridiculous character who 
didn't actually move forward the message at all. And something that I've studied in my PhD program is this idea of seductive details and how things can distract us from the, the point and the objective. And I won't go too much into it here um, because I'm working on some writings in this area, but um, you want to have the, the point, the objective first. And you want to consider your learners, so you want it to be engaging. But sometimes the most engaging thing you can do is not to add seductive details, but to make something simpler, right? To create something that is not so convoluted that it takes forever to go through when all you want to do as the learner is to complete it. Now, on the other hand, same situation and compliance training. This time, I was part of a team that was working with a third-party vendor, and um, we were shopping for like your average sexual harassment course for the organization. The reason we chose a third-party vendor was because there are so many legal implications with sexual harassment training and how many hours you need based on which state you work in. And so it's easier to pay someone else and buy the course than it is to design it in-house and uh, adhere to all of those legal, le legal standards that are different across geography. So if you have a dispersed workforce, it can be really difficult. So anyway, we were looking at some of the different videos and I wasn't like the person who was making the recommendations, but I, one of the people on my team was. And they were considering a few different options and I said, hey, one of the things I think you should consider um, is where people are going to be watching this. Like they're going to be taking it at their desks and if there's a sexual assault or sexual trauma survivor, um, they could be triggered. So we may want to like tell people, give people a trigger warning, or just find something that's not so visceral that could be triggering for people. And the person looked at me and they're like, why would I consider any of that? That has no bearing on this training. And I just kind of shook my head and walked away and was like, all right. But you know, I think that the other thing with compliance training is that you've got to consider your learners, right? And a lot of times people default to this, it's compliance, it's checking a box, it's, you know, all I need people to do is to take this one hour of training. And they're not actually trying to change any behavior. They're really just trying to not get sued, I guess, in most cases, but, and that's evidenced by, like, the, the content of these, right? They're not showing you the nuance of sexual harassment or ethics or uh, cybersecurity or, you know, something like that. They're not showing you kind of the nuanced situations that you might run into where you don't know how to act, right? They're showing you the very obvious situations. Like, no, you should not be, you know, telling somebody at your work that if they want to raise, they have to do X, Y, Z. That is literally bribery. Like, they're not, they're doing the things, they're teaching the things that 
good people already know and bad people don't care about. And so you're not going to have any mind changes or behavior shifts. And, and I get that it really is, at the end of the day, a legal thing, right? But I just feel like in a lot of cases we can do better. We, we Yeah, in a lot of cases I think we can do better. So that's my compliance horror story. My next horror story is going to be the only other one that I tell today. Maybe we'll do this again sometime. And it's more so about, well, it's more so about an entire project. It has all of the elements of a good <laughs> L&D horror story. So I was working as part of a multi-person team. And so we had people who helped with different phases of the ADDIE framework, if you will, right? So as the instructional designer, I did the analysis. We had someone who had multimedia skills. We had someone with developer skills. Um, you know, we, we had access to a lot of different kinds of people. And all of those people kind of helped to set up and contribute to an e-learning project, right? So we were tasked with this e-learning project, and it was relatively straightforward. So I had kind of created an outline of what I thought we should do to hit the learning objectives, have some you know, scenario-based questions in there, um, maybe do some video content. Uh, you know, I was admittedly kind of, I was actually, <laughs> I think I was going a little bit overboard. I think I was suggesting a lot. Um, then I sat down and met with a couple other people on my team who did not have an L&D background. Now, that's not to say that, you know, everyone who doesn't have the formal background can't be beneficial and can't add something to the conversation, but they went on this tangent that was so far removed from the course you know, they started getting like excited about their idea. They wanted to do like a video. They wanted to hire actors. They wanted to like build the whole, this whole thing and like make this project and be that, have that be part of the, the video. And I can't give you a lot of detail about the content itself without, without giving it away, but they were suggesting and, and, <laughs> a Marvel movie on like a home video budget. And so I kind of was like, okay, this is like a lot of work, but it's also missing the point. It's also not going to help us to show the objectives. They were so salty with me and they decided that they were going to pitch their idea anyway. That they were just going to bypass me. That they were going to make a meeting with the stakeholder. Um, and so they made a meeting with the stakeholder and they pitched they pitched the idea anyway. And the stakeholder came to me after because I had built a really good rapport with them. This was not the first course that I was working on with them. And they said to me, hey, did you know about this suggested treatment of this e-learning course? And I just kind of laughed and I said, yeah, I think it's a bit over the top and they were like well yeah and they were like well th they told us that you like you helped them come up with the idea and I was like what no I I told them I didn't like the idea and 
it was lucky that we both kind of caught it and we were able to kind of come up with a message to kind of push back against them because they were clearly going to go in the direction and do what they wanted to do. And so, you know, because the stakeholder had already said no and they still were like, well, we want to we want to try it and, you know, we want to see how it turns out. And so they basically kind of told the stakeholder that they didn't really care what they said. They were still going to go ahead and and create this course how they wanted. And so it took quite a lot of pushing back and, um, you know, just, uh, I mean, the stakeholder really had to pull rank to get them to go with my idea. And the horror story piece about that is is kind of twofold. The lesson to learn here is really about teamwork and leadership, okay? Because what you had on that team was you had two people who were and had been allowed to kind of do whatever they wanted to the point where they were comfortable just telling stakeholders basically to stuff it and that they were going to continue and that they were the experts. You know, they even had said multiple times, like, well, we're the experts. We just do what we want. Because they weren't collaborating with the stakeholder, these projects they were working on were taking forever because they would take an idea to a stakeholder. Now, that horror story happened again, very similar fashion with another stakeholder, to the point where that other stakeholder like called our supervisor and was like, what is going on? You have to work together with your stakeholder because what was happening was these projects were taking forever because the stakeholder would say absolutely unacceptable. And then they would be like, no, you have to accept it. And there would just be this back and forth. And, and neither party was willing to budge because it wasn't what the stakeholder asked for, but it's what the team wanted to create. And unfortunately, leadership above our team wasn't strong enough to be able to say, hey, listen, you need to fall in line or, you know, get off the team, like work as a team, right? Because when you have certain team members who are only in it for themselves, and you have those people that don't work well with others and don't want to hear what others have to say and, and don't want others' ideas and who think that new people don't have value and, you know, have that that's the way we've always done it mentality. It's just so hard to move forward with those people on the team when you've got other people on the team who are good and who are talented. So when you are kind of, looking for an ID job or or thinking about ways that you can improve, definitely ask about teamwork. Definitely look at the way you're interacting with the team and with the stakeholders. Are you always pushing back against the stakeholders? And if so, why? Are they always are they always that wrong? Or, you know, is there somewhere where you can kind of make that relationship a little easier? Or a little better because I know we all have stakeholder and SME horror stories and we love to, you know, make jabs at them on, on social media and we love to complain to our L&D friends about, you know, certain things that they do or say. 
But I think we also really appreciate our SMEs and our stakeholders. And I think that I, I a lot of times see it as kind of like a sibling relationship where like I can say something about my SME or stakeholder, but you can't because if you do, I'm going to be mad and defend them. But if I want to complain about how long it takes them to get back to me or something like that, then I can. And I think that's great. You know, I think that's where we should be. And I think that we should look for ways always that we can be collaborating better. So to wrap up today, I just want to say that these are obviously my very biased, one-sided versions of things that I've experienced. And I'm sure that if you talk to other people where I worked in these different scenarios, that they might feel differently. But I think that it's important to share these stories when we run into them or share these things that we feel about working with others when we feel them so that we can do better and so we can reflect on our behavior. And were there things that I could have done better in these scenarios? Absolutely. Were there things that I just didn't do because I gave up and it was easier to just kind of fall in line? A hundred percent you know, especially early in our careers, that's just what we we do, right, to kind of get by. But I think if we keep considering our learners and keep thinking about what's best for them and what's most useful and what the best use of time is, and if we learn to work well with our team and our SMEs and our stakeholders I think what we're going to be able to do as an L&D professional is going to be really great. And one last thing before I leave, I just wanted to say that Matt Smith and I, aka Useful Stuff, has just come out with issue three of our newsletter, and we've launched the L&D Word Project, which as a former English major, I am super excited to share with everybody We've basically pulled together over 350 L&D terms and defined them and put them in a searchable site that you can go on and browse and search. And as we go along with useful stuff, we're going to keep adding to the list. We're going to keep adding more context to the different entries so that there's resources and things like that. So if you haven't yet, Check out GetUsefulStuff.com, and I'll talk to you next time. Thanks again for joining me on the blog. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends and review us on your favorite podcast platform. I hope you'll tune in again soon.